pray one more time, and let's just invite the Lord to, to lead and guide us this morning as we get into this. Um, I believe for reasons that we're going to see that the circumstances Daniel found himself in are circumstances that, that we can find ourselves in. It may not be immediately obvious, um, as we'll see, maybe he was living in captivity, but, but I believe it's, it's maybe way more relevant than we might recognize at first glance. And so let's just invite the Lord to, to speak to our hearts today and help us hear what he wants us to hear. All right? So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that it's true and it's right and it's good. God, we thank you for the life of Daniel, his faithfulness to you. And Lord, we pray that, that it would be, it would give us some guidance, would give us some direction on, on how we can, we can devote our lives to you. God, we realize as, as faithful as we might be, as unfaithful as we might be, God, the reality is we can struggle when it relates to just being faithfully devoted to you. But God, at the very core of this is your faithfulness in our lives. And so God, we thank you for your faithfulness. And God, by your grace, by your presence in our lives, would you enable us to be devoted followers of you? Jesus, thank you for the life that we have. Thank you that you are our Savior. We are grateful for all that you have done for us the incredible work on the cross, salvation from our sins, eternal life in heaven. Jesus, we are grateful for that. Jesus, would you remind us of the ever-present truth that you're not only our Savior, you're our Lord, you're our King. And help us to live devoted lives following you as our King. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Thank you that you are the empowering presence in our lives. That you help us, you teach us, you both correct and comfort us. So we pray that, that you would work, that this word would come alive in our hearts, show us things that we need to see, and give us the strength to walk it out. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for worshiping you this morning. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, well, here's what I really want to do this morning. Uh, we're just going to get into the first few verses of the book. I want to just kind of help set the course of where we're heading in the coming weeks. Um, and kind of set the tone for what does it mean to live a devoted life. And so, so really, I kind of just want to wrestle with, with one big question this morning. Or I want to invite you to wrestle with one big question this morning. Um, what determines the course of my life? You know, there's a lot of factors that go into making me who I am and go into unfolding the life that I live. You know, the people I may live around, the, the vocation, the job I might have, where, the literal location of where I might live. So much goes into that. You know, we even just as kids are, are born and they're raised, you know, there, there's always that tension between, you know, what's, what's taught and received and learned and what is just kind of inherently there, right? Just what I was born with, my personality. <clears throat> and so I want to talk this morning about what really determines the course of my life. Do I look at, at where I am, my, my location, my relationships, my job? Do I look at where I am and, and do I recognize really 
what truly determines the course of my life, who I am, how I live. Another way to put it might be a little more accessible for you. Um, in the words of the great theologian, Willie Nelson, are you sure this is where you want to be? Y'all know that song? Y'all know There wasn't a lot of recognition that y'all know that song. Y'all know that song? Nobody wants to admit that they know a song about a bar in church on a Sunday morning. Anyways, are you sure this is where you want to be? How did I get here? Why am I here? What determines the course of my life? That's the point. That's the direction we're heading. Even if my terrible Willie Nelson quote didn't really land. All right. So the first thing we're going to do is kind of check out the circumstances Daniel finds himself in. Okay? So he's entering into captivity. It's a period of time in Israel's history where, where they fall captive to the Babylonian Empire. So I want to just give you a sense of this. Um, what does it mean to be in captivity? Or for us, maybe we feel like, no, we're not in captivity. Well, what does it mean to be in circumstances you don't want to be in? Can anybody relate to that? I am in a difficult situation that I do not want to be in. What does that look like? And so there's difficult circumstances here. So let's start out right here, Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave. Man, I hate those places in Scripture where the Lord is giving permission for difficulty. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, that's Nebuchadnezzar, with some of the vessels of the house of God. Well, God even allowed treasures, vessels from his temple, from his house, to fall into And he, Nebuchadnezzar, brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Wow. How did God's people, and then Daniel in particular, end up in a set of circumstances where God would allow them to be brought into captivity? Where God would allow a foreign king, an enemy of God, and his people, to even bring some of their treasures up to God's temple and put them in the temple of Israel. What led to this? I want to give you just a brief, brief history, a little taste of it. So first of all, there was a split within Israel. It had been divided into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. And so really, this is kind of the remaining kingdom of Judah here that's falling into captivity. Israel had already been in trouble for a while, that split kingdom. And so that, that was kind of one of the first signs of real problems is there was a divide even amongst God's people. Then we see all kinds of kings leading the way, opening the door to an atmosphere within Israel, within the people of God, that ran counter to who God called them to be. One example that's not often recognized is a guy who was a good king. I mean, he is known as a good, faithful king. Overall, that's kind of the temperature of his rule and reign is that he loved God, he was faithful to him, he was a good king. But King Hezekiah even contributed to the problem. Take a glance at this. Um, in 2 Kings chapter 20, Hezekiah's pride leads to the downfall of Israel. So even a really good, faithful guy made a huge mistake that led to part of these problems. I want you to see this. So Hezekiah has become very ill, and he's on death's door. I mean, he is on his deathbed. 
And God intervenes miraculously and heals him and extends his life. And so the news of this spreads. And so in 2 Kings 20, beginning in verse 12, it says, At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, so we're several generations before Nebuchadnezzar here, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Now don't, don't misunderstand this. He's not sending a get well soon card. He heard that he had been sick and he wasn't anymore. And he was intrigued about how did that come about? This guy was on death's door. Verse 13. And Hezekiah welcomed him and he showed them all his treasure house. The silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Whoa. The enemy's going, hey, we're impressed. We heard something amazing and miraculous happen. How did that transpire? Tell us about this wonderful place where you are where miracles like that can happen. And Hezekiah said, oh, cool. Come check out what I've accumulated. Where was Hezekiah's real treasure? The thing he should have been showing Babylon is God. I'm nothing in and of myself, but by the mercy of God I live. The real treasure here is Him and His miracle working power. And instead, Hezekiah decides, well, we're kind of this little podunk kingdom. We need to oppress our Babylonian neighbors and invites them in. Check out how the Lord viewed this entire circumstance. This, this little verse is found in 2 Chronicles 32, verse 31. And so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon, who had been sent to Hezekiah to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land. See, I'm not just making this up. They came to find out how to get better. And Hezekiah showed off his money and his oils and his power and his stuff. And the Lord looked at this, and look what it says here. God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. The overall tenor of Hezekiah's life, faithful God. God loved him, God honored him. But yet when the rubber met the road, that pride, that verse underneath came rising to the surface. You want to know the secret here? Check out my kingdom. Instead of check out the real kingdom. This is an example of, the, of the, the environment that was happening amongst God's people that would lead God to allowing them to fall out. In fact, Isaiah gets a word of this and he's just dumbstruck. How could you do this? Why would you invite them in like that? And he just goes down the line. Did you show them this? And you did what? And you did this? And this guy's like, yeah, and I was to imagine as, as Isaiah's asking these questions and starting to dawn on Hezekiah, like, oh, yeah, I, I did show them that. Oh, yeah, man, should I not have done that? And I just can't imagine as the prophet's asking him these questions, what begins to set in. And then as, as, as Isaiah hears all of this, 2 Kings 20, verse 16 now, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming and all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day. 
that wasn't even all you were doing anyways as a guy. All your bragging, look at David, look at Solomon. So you set these seven straight. All that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. That's what Daniel becomes. A eunuch in the palace of king of Babylon. See, Daniel's difficult situation might be just like many of our own. That through unfair circumstances, through no fault of my own, I end up in a place I'd rather not be. For others of us, it's more, more like Hezekiah. Like not unfair circumstances, more like direct consequences. Choices and decisions I've made have brought me into a place where I'm in a hard situation. And God's allowed it. He's allowed it to take place. Friends, we will be in, in these kinds of situations throughout our life. I think often what stands out to us, you know, what we recognize more often is the unfair circumstances we find ourselves in. I'm really quick to spot those. I'm a little slower to recognize what Hezekiah needed to see here, which was the difficult situations we get in that are a result of us, our brokenness, our errors, our mistakes, direct consequences and choices we made. Either way, we end up in these spots. And I just, I had to share this. It doesn't really fit in with the message about reading this passage. And we just got to take note of this whole moment right here. Hezekiah hears that. That this whole situation is going to unfold. And then Isaiah is letting him know, you know, this isn't going to happen in your day. You're going to have a little mercy in your day. This is going to happen in generations to come. Look at verse 19. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought... Why not if there will be peace and security in my days? If I'm honest, I might not say it that loud, but how often have I been willing to compromise with the mentality that the consequences aren't going to come to roost in my day? He shrugs off the consequences not even thinking about his children. You know what's interesting? As the story continues to unfold, the worst king in all of Israel's history, and there was, there was a, there's a bunch of them, the worst one in the whole batch is Manasseh, Hezekiah's son. Hezekiah's son is the worst one. We get a picture of it, 2 Kings 21, very next chapter, verses 9 through 16. But then God's people did not listen. And Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done, whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. All these evil nations that had lived in the promised land, Israel was to come in and be different. And Manasseh led them so far in the wrong direction, they were worse than the pagans who'd been there before them. And the Lord said by his servants, the prophets, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these abominations and has done things more evil than all that the Amorites did who were before him, and has made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, 
Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I'm bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears of it will take it. Verse 16, Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another, besides the sin that he had made you to the same, so that they did what was find somebody worse. You ever notice that little excuse that creeps up? Right? Like Hezekiah's looking pretty good all of a sudden, right? You know, great guy, faithful guy, made one mistake. Manasseh comes along, I mean, he just runs right off the railroad tracks. See, the reality is there was no one person, no one circumstance that led to this captivity. It was the entire people of God Deciding collectively, not even through an intentional conversation, but through a little step at a time, a little compromise at a time, there was an unspoken agreement to compromise. An unspoken agreement that will be king instead of him. In our physical kings that we can see, they're giving us permission all the way. And so step by step, see, it wasn't, was it, was, was Hezekiah the reason they fell into captivity? Yeah. But not the only reason. Was Manasseh the reason? His wicked reign. Was that the problem? Yeah, but not the only reason. Ultimately, the entire culture of compromise led to this captivity. We get a description of this in 2 Chronicles 36, verses 14 through 16. All the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful following all the abominations of the nations, and they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. See, God's saying, my house is so polluted, I'll let them take treasures out of that house. This house doesn't deserve it anymore. And he let it fall into to captivity. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent Persistently, You see who's faithful here? The people were unfaithful, and they polluted what God had given them. He was faithful. He persistently pursued them. He sent them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people. Friends, whatever situation you're in, whether it be a time of peace or difficulty, whether you've arrived there through unfair circumstances or the consequences of your own choices, the real question is, who's running things? Who's in charge? Someone is reigning. Is it you? Is it the voice of another that's not the Lord? Some other king who's given me permission to live a certain way? Who's reigning? The reality is someone will. Someone will. For Israel, it was evil kings, many of them. Occasionally, little moments of revival. But the overarching theme was evil kings reign. But what you need to see is they went along willingly. 
went along willingly. Their leadership reflected them. You know, we can get frustrated. It's so easy in our culture to get frustrated with the people that we see in power. Democrat, Republican, I don't care. We get frustrated and upset with who's in charge, who's running things. We can look at that at a local level to a national level. But the truth is, they are a reflection of who we are. Am I just willingly following the reign of another? Many of us follow our own reign. So, these are the circumstances Daniel finds himself in. He is in captivity. It is both the direct consequences of decisions people have made, but also for Daniel, it seems to be kind of unfair for him. You know, everything we sort of see in his life, as we'll notice going forward, is a really faithful guy. But here he is in these circumstances. All right, it's not only about the circumstances he's in, the difficult situation he's in. It's also about the people that he is around, the, the environment that's there. And so I want you to see this. He's now living in exile. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes, he conquers, he brings people and stuff. And so now we're going to pick up the, the story back in 1 Daniel, or Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed them with knowledge and understanding, learning and competent to stand in the king's palace, in order to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. They want them to come in, the best and the brightest, and get acclimated into this new culture. We're going to teach you who we are, what, what we are like, how we think, how we operate. You're going to come get acclimated into our culture and our environment, Verse 5, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So the first thing that we see that Daniel is facing, not only is in a place he doesn't want to be in, but he is now in an environment that is the very opposite of who God is. He's in this Babylonian culture, this pagan culture. He's in an environment that runs counter to who God is. But here's the interesting thing about this Babylonian culture. They had their own way. They had their own values and goals. But, did you notice how they conquered? They go into another culture and they draw from that culture what is good from there that we can bend to our own uses. Here's something good. Here's something valuable. Here's some wisdom. Here's some understanding. Here's some, some people. Let's gather from them, but then just to help us continue to go our own way, to build our own strength. Guys, we, we live in an environment much like this. Babylon borrowed from other cultures that they conquered to build their own kingdom. This is the exact situation we're in now. The very foundation of our society is built on biblical principles. Like how our government is built upon biblical principles. But the reality is, for so much of our history and our current situation, we take advantage of those biblical principles that has given us a solid foundation as a society, and we just use them for our own aims. In fact, the very same society that is 
enjoying the freedoms that we have are now using those to critique the very foundation they came from. We're so dumb, we're going back and tearing down what helped us to get here. I have the very freedoms to even bother to question and undermine God's truth and wisdom and authority because of it. And now I attack the foundation. We live in a similar environment. And we need to be aware that this can be very deceptive for us. Because, because we don't recognize it. Because if we're not careful, we, we are born into this environment. We live here, and we grow up just eating it up. Soaking it in. Gets into our pores. We can't separate the difference between his kingdom and the kingdoms of this world. See, this is the environment Daniel's in. They want him. And guess what? It would be to his benefit to acclimate. Daniel, you can stand before the king. How much compromise has taken place in the lives of people who would even identify as Christ's followers? Who in order to be relevant, in order to have an end that I'll use later to have an impact for the Lord. And really it's just a compromise to put me in a better condition. You have to pay attention to the environment. Daniel was being asked to come in and acclimate this Babylonian culture. Friends, that wasn't the only environment he was in. He wasn't just in the Babylonian he was in an environment with his own people who were choosing to compromise. He went with other Jewish people. Daniel 1.6, right? Really simple verse. It says, among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. If you don't recognize his last three names, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right? But these were their Jewish guys. They were among others who were brought. In fact, you can go check my math here if you want. You probably should because, you know, not always my strong suit. Um, but 2 Kings 24, verses 14 through 16, it describes um, kind of the scene of Israel being brought into captivity. It says about 10,000 of them were taken. 7,000 were warriors. 1,000 were buildsmen and craftsmen. The other group was like the nobility. That would be the camp Daniel was in. Well, if there's 10,000 total and 7,000 are warriors and another 1,000 are craftsmen and builders, that means about 2,000 Jewish nobility brought into the same circumstances as Daniel to be taught, to be trained, to learn the customs, the language, to eat their food, to acclimate into Babylonian culture. And throughout the book of Daniel, there are only four names mentioned. See, friends, the truth is, the issue of, of the circumstance we live in, it's not just, you know, is, is American culture infiltrating the way I think? Are, are kingdoms that have agendas other than God infiltrating the way I think? we got to pay attention to the church itself, other followers of Jesus, me as a follower of Jesus. Am I compromising? There's a real temptation to compromise with the culture to just acclimate into it because we see it 
The church is doing this, so it seems normal. It seems healthy. It seems like what we should do. And it's wrong. You know, this term has arisen in the last few years as kind of kind of an insulting term or whatever. And um, I'm not picking sides here, just pointing out the term. But y'all know what a rhino is? Republican in name only? Is that, is that new terminology? Man, y'all are looking at me like, what are you talking about? Y'all have heard of that, right? A rhino, Republican in name only? Y'all haven't heard of that? Okay. Good. <laughs> okay. Anyways, well, this, this may not make as much sense to you now. Um, but it's, it's having the name, but like actually the way you're living, the way you're voting, your agenda doesn't really line up with that. That's, that's the idea behind the term. You're not really what you say you are. Guys, we have a real danger of that in the church. Am I just a Christian in name only? I go to that church, that denomination, that place. My name is attached to it. But am I just going along with the rest of the crowd compromising? Or am I living a devoted life? As we, we answer personally for who we are, how we live, and, and what determines my life. And this is the case. This has been the case for Christians. I, I love this little picture. In Acts chapter 11, it tells us about the church in Antioch. You know, this new church is kind of, kind of birthing. And it's a church getting established that is... Instead of most of the churches, even the ones in Roman provinces, have been primarily Jewish up to this point. And at this point in scripture in Antioch, a lot of a lot of folks that were Romans, Greek culture, Gentiles, were coming to Christ. This church was arising in Antioch. And so the leaders in Jerusalem heard about it. Man, this is pretty exciting. Let's see if this is legit. They send Barnabas down there, and then Barnabas recruit, recruits uh, Saul or Paul to come join him. And so they helped this new community establish. And I just, I want you to see this. Verses 23 and 26 of Acts chapter 11. And when he came, Barnabas, and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. Man, this is exciting. In the midst of the Roman culture, pagan gods, look at this group of people who decided I'm going to follow Jesus. And he was excited. And what did he do there? He exhorted them, challenged, pushed, emphasized, encouraged. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Devoted. For a whole year, they, Barnabas and Saul, for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. The name meant something. I'm a faithfully devoted follower of Christ. And so the only thing we possibly know to call you is a Christian. Because the defining thing about you is to follow Christ. The name Christian was never meant to be a name. It's meant to be a name. That people would, people who maybe don't even know you that well, would assign to you based on watching the devotion of your life. What matters to you, what you care about, how you live. The name matched their identity. It wasn't just something they knew. This is the environment they lived in. 
God, can you just, can you imagine this for a minute? I've been ripped from my home, pulled away from my family. I'm in a whole new place. I'm in a place where these people are possible to be. And really, my only manner of success is to blend in. To look and talk and live like they do. And then I show up there, and the few friends I've got to link arms with and try to get through, 99.9% of them are just going right along with it. I know it costs us something to live a life devoted to Jesus. It always does. It always does. There's great gain. What I give up doesn't compare to the glory of what I receive from Him. But it costs something. In our, our desperation to share the truth of Jesus with a world that needs Him, we've decide, decided to cut that part out of the story and not tell people it costs something to be devoted to Jesus. His grace is free and it's available and it's undeserved. I can't and shouldn't earn it. Devotion isn't about earning something, it's just about being His. He saved me, He's rescued me, He's given me a whole new life. Look at his incredible love for me. Why wouldn't I want to follow him? Why would I keep following the kingdoms of this world? Look where that led me. And now I've got him and his great love. And look who he is. And look at the life he's inviting me into. And just purposing to be devoted to him. Jesus, I'm yours. Friends, I fear that in dealing with broken legalistic theology or falling into perfectionism, which we've never been called to, that we've set aside being devoted to Jesus. God, you have my heart. You have my mind. You have my life. And I can't just assume that because I'm an American and I'm a Christian, that I'm going to be following along in the right way. Daniel had to make a choice. We have to make a choice. What determines the course of my life? My character. My character determines the, choice, the course of my life. Here's Daniel's situation. I mean, I, I want you to see this. Even recognize this. Daniel 6 again, and then going into verse 7. Among these, those brought into captivity, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. Azariah he called Abednego. All of their names were tied in various ways with false gods. Their Jewish names honored their, the one true God. Daniel couldn't even control what he was called. place he didn't want to be in, surrounded by people whose hearts were not aligned with his. He couldn't even control his name. And how did Daniel respond in the midst of this? This is the whole sermon of the universe. Daniel 1.8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. The 
If I can do nothing else, I'm going to control what God's in here. I have purpose. I have resolved. It's the exact opposite of the description of the culture. It said that they were unfaithful and polluted even God's house. And Daniel said, I've resolved. I'm going to be undefiled. Resolved. The word means purpose in his heart. Defile. It means defile. It means pollute, desecrate. It literally means to stain. It means to stain. I want you to think about this. David, David, Daniel made a hard decision. He purposed in his heart. I might have to be in a place I don't want to be in. And I might be surrounded by a bunch of other people that would make it easy to compromise. I might not be able to control what's touching me. But I'm not going to let it stay me. I am not. I refuse to be marked by this place, in this culture, and this compromise. I'm going to purpose to be undefined. That's David. Last verse. Very next verse. And God gave. God gave twice this morning. He gave a compromising people into the hands of an enemy. And he gave an uncompromising young man named Daniel right into that situation. But Daniel purposed to follow his God. And so God gave something else to one other person. He gave Daniel something special and unique that so many others didn't receive because they were just more willing to walk in easy road compromise. And they missed what God gave. He gave favor.
It's not fair. I don't deserve this. Why? I can't answer that question for you. And can I tell you something? God rarely answers that question for people in the Scripture. But there are the faithful few throughout the Scripture who purpose in their hearts to be like Daniel and say, God, I have committed in my heart I'm not going to defile myself. God, I've committed in my heart I'm going to be devoted to you. And that's when God lets us in on this In the midst of circumstances that we wish we could change, and people that it's hard to be around, and a road that is tough to walk, God says, I'm right there in the middle of this with you. My steadfast love and favor will see you through. And I will protect you with a tender, compassionate love, like a mother's will protects the precious Never going to get it perfect. But when we purpose in our hearts to live a devoted life, we find that there is a devoted God already there who's been faithful all the time, who will never leave us, who will never forsake us. May we choose to live a devoted life. And may we watch how that is the thing that actually directs the course of our life. Not So we get that. That's our prayer this morning. Thank you for your devoted love, your steadfast love, your compassion towards us. God, may we recognize while the pitfalls around us are many, and while the situation that we are in might be hard, we may not. Like 